You know, one of the gifts of God to me during my teenage years was a thriving youth ministry and a wonderful youth pastor. It's one of the many, many grace gifts that God placed into my life. I was raised in a Christian home with parents who knew Jesus and lived out that gospel in a powerful and meaningful way. They lived out their lives in service to others. There was a direct connection between Sunday morning worship and our home life. My parents were involved in Bible study fellowship. My mom was a teaching leader for women. So I, I grew up like traveling around in the city of Kalamazoo. My mom's study method was to take uh, cassette tapes of uh, preachers and communicators, the best in the country, and listen to those. And so I thought every kid in America grew up listening to Chuck Swindoll and John MacArthur and Charles Stanley. So I had the privilege of a home saturated with the Bible. So in the context, though, of that home, youth ministry served as a reinforcement, and it was powerful. What it did is it cemented the truths that my parents taught me with the voices of other people. You see, parents possess truth. We love our children. But as most of you teenagers and junior hires know, mom and dad usually aren't very cool. And even if they are, you're not going to admit it. And so it was helpful to hear God's word communicated through other cool people, youth leaders, youth pastors, those that were not my parents, but they said the same thing. Between long distance bike rides and spontaneous runs to a convenience store before youth ministry, appearances that they would make at a sporting event or just even a casual conversation. Youth ministry was like a miracle grow agent. It cemented my faith that was nurtured by my parents. So it was in this context, and this is one of the graces, this context with youth ministry that my youth pastor gave me a challenge in junior high. And it was that if you do nothing else in terms of your reading of the Bible, take whatever day of the week it is and read that chapter in the book of Proverbs. It's 31 chapters, many months of 31 days. And so that was an easy formula. And that's what I did for most of my junior high and senior high years. My default, sort of foundational position for Bible reading was the book of Proverbs. And here's what happened. As I read the book, I was stunned because I, I couldn't believe how relevant this ancient book was to my life. It spoke right into the challenges that I was facing and it was exhilarating to see that a book written thousands of years earlier walked with me right into school. I came to see that the book of Proverbs is a life-giving book. It addresses the real issues that I faced, speaks into the issues that I still face. The book warned me about being a fool. It exalted the promise of wisdom. So for the next number of weeks, in the months of June and July, myself, along with a number of our other pastors, are going to be teaching through this important book. We're calling the series Foolproof, Discovering the Wisdom of Proverbs. 
In the first few weeks, we're going to be studying chapters one through nine. Those chapters serve as an introduction to the book. And then we're gonna turn to chapters 10 through 31, but we won't be going through them chapter by chapter because the nature of this book, particularly in chapters 10 through 31, is a collection of proverbs and sayings. And therefore, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through those chapters by examining topics and themes that relate to so much of what we deal with every single day. We're gonna talk about things like foolishness and immorality and friendships and money and laziness and how to use our words and pride and self-control. So my guess is you know somebody who needs this sermon series. If you're listening and over the next couple of weeks you think, man, someone needs to hear this, I hope that you'll invite them, but I also hope that you'll listen for you. Today we're starting in our journey in chapters one and two, and we're looking at four different elements of what wisdom is. We're gonna see the vision of wisdom, the warning of wisdom, the invitation of wisdom, and fourth, the value of wisdom. So first, the vision. As I said, in chapters one through nine, they serve as the introduction, if you will, to the concept of what Proverbs mean and what wisdom is. And in fact, the first seven verses serve as an introduction to the introduction. If you look in your Bible, the book begins with an identification of Solomon as the author. We believe that he wrote much of this book and also served as the editor, collecting these wise sayings. Chapters 30 and 31 are written by two other authors, but Solomon is identified as the one who becomes both the model and the example of someone who values wisdom. You may remember in 1 Kings chapter three, when Solomon was king of Israel, that God came to him and said to him that he could ask for whatever he wanted and as a result, Solomon asked for this, 1 Kings 3 and verse 9, Lord, give me an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. And the Lord gave it to him. This book is called Proverbs, and it's part of a broader collection of wisdom books. Books like Job, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. It's called Proverbs, but do you know what a proverb is? <laughs> By definition, a proverb is a short, pithy statement with a memorable truth. So it's a short, pithy statement with a memorable, memorable truth. It's the kind of thing that when you hear it, you're like, hmm, that's good. I need to remember that. That's a proverb. In the Hebrew, the word is connected to the concept of a rule or something that is a governing principle. Again, it's something that when you hear it, you think, I need to remember that. That's helpful. You could think of a proverb as this way. It's simply the application of biblical truth to everyday life. In order for a proverb to be a proverb, it needs to contain truth, but it also needs to be applied 
So the nature of wisdom literature has a leaning, not just towards propositional truth, but rather towards the application of that truth. So you need to know that makes things a bit complicated because a proverb isn't a promise. Proverbs are true, they reflect biblical concepts, but what they do is they reflect generalizations, biblical probabilities, and therefore we have to use them carefully and wisely. Let me give you a few examples. In Proverbs chapter three and verses one and two, we see this particular statement. My son, do not forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Now, is that true? Yes. But what about believers who die early? Did the promise, the statement, the truth not apply to them? Well, if it's a proverb, it means that it's a truth applied generally to life, something that you look at and go, that is true. But there also are exceptions. I'll explain more in a moment. Here's another one. Riches and honor are with me, this is wisdom speaking, enduring wealth and righteousness. So, are all wise people wealthy? Is there a guarantee that if you possess wisdom that you're going to be rich? You could take that text out of the book of Proverbs and sort of approach it through a name it, claim it sort of a perspective. Or here's another one that I've seen to be really hurtful over the years. Proverbs 22, six, train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old he will not depart from it. So. Does that mean that if you teach your children and train them up in the way of the Lord that they'll never reject Christ? Sort of an X plus Y equals Z equation? Unfortunately, I've seen this text used that way. So you see the challenge? Hopefully you feel a little bit of the tension because Proverbs is designed to create those tensions. Part of the reason why Proverbs as a book is important and part of the reason why it's part of the total collection of wisdom literature is that the book of Proverbs needs to be balanced with other books of wisdom. For example, Job. Job shows us that righteous people actually suffer. Or, here's an interesting text from Ecclesiastes chapter one. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. <laughs> so you can see, we need to be wise in even how we approach the subject of wisdom. We have to be careful with the book of Proverbs. You can't read it and apply it and use it like you would maybe the book of Romans or the Ten Commandments or the Sermon on the Mount. And just to be really honest with you, from my own pastoral experience, Proverbs tends to be a favorite book for people who like to shut down, shut down conversations by citing Bible verses. Like they have this little arsenal and they just drop a proverb on a situation as if that verse solves all of the complexity of issues. You see, Proverbs is a helpful tool, but you need to use it correctly. I'm sure you've done this, I have before, where you're working on a project or something at home and you're using the wrong tool to try and fix something. 
You know, maybe you're trying to um, open a lid and instead of getting a wide screwdriver, you try and use maybe a knife and a sharp one in the context of your kitchen. And, and so you're trying to open that lid and it slips. And if you're not careful and you use the wrong tool, you could cut your finger off or injure yourself. The book of Proverbs is a powerful tool. And as a result, we need to use it wisely. We need to use it carefully. Take note of the words in verses one through four that tell us how important and valuable this book is. It reflects the vision. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. So these are words that are important, wisdom, instruction, equity. You see, Proverbs isn't simply about what the truth is. Proverbs is about how the truth is applied. It's one thing, for instance, to believe in justice. I mean, who doesn't believe in justice? In fact, isn't that a conversation happening in the context of our own culture right now? Everyone believes in justice. That's not the issue. The issue is when does justice actually happen? Or what does justice actually look like? That's where things get really complicated. So wisdom then is not just knowing something. Wisdom is knowing what's important and then knowing how to apply it. And isn't that the hardest part? You can think racism is wrong, and you should, but where is it? How does it show up and what to do about it? You may see police brutality and you know it's wrong, but what do you do and how do you solve it? You see, that's where things get really challenging. The concept is one thing, but it's the application that we really need. Notice back in the text that the book is written in verse four to give prudence to the simple. So it's written to people who just simply need more information. The word means naive or lacking intelligence or they just lack common sense. The book's also written to those who need to understand, to give knowledge and discretion to the youth. So if you're a junior hire or you're a senior hire, Look, this ought to be a book that you're familiar with because I'm telling you, it was certainly instrumental in my own life and there are gold nuggets here for you to learn from and glean from. But at the same time, this is a book that should apply to every single one of us because verse five says, let the wise hear and receive instruction or, or increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. So the wise person comes to the book of Proverbs and says, I've got a lot to learn. You know, in seminary, the professors who knew the most were the ones who had the best questions and also knew what they didn't know. If you come to the book of Proverbs and your attitude is, hey, I got this wisdom thing, friend, you don't have wisdom. So this book applies to all of us, no matter where we are in our stages of life. Everyone needs the book of Proverbs. No one possesses all the wisdom that we need. And then we see the vision of the starting point. He says, to understand the proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. 
Here it is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. So there it is, there's the starting point. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Since God is the author of all wisdom, since all truth resides with him, and since you and I are not like him, and there's a gap between what he is like and what we are like, Proverbs begins with this singular starting point, the fear of the Lord. The fountainhead of all wisdom is a biblical understanding of who God is, an understanding of who you are, an understanding of what's the problem in the world and what's the solution. And if you're tuning in and you're not yet a Christian, you need to know that the core answer to that question is found in the person and the work of Christ. The Bible tells us, and we say this all the time at College Park here, this simple message. God is holy and I'm not. And that's a problem. And that Jesus saves, he died in order to cleanse me of my sin and to make me a new person. And as a result, Christ is my life. And that understanding, that worldview, that fundamental understanding of who I am, how my sin is dealt with, and what it means for God to have graced me is the starting point for how to understand the world, how to see the culture, and even how to apply truth to a broken world. You see, if you get that wrong, you'll never be able to rightly apply biblical wisdom. So, before we even get into point number two, can I just ask you, where's your relationship right now with the Lord? Have you turned from your sins and repented and run to Christ? If you're a Christian, can I just ask you, what's your posture right now towards yourself and towards the Lord? Are you characterized by a teachable spirit? Would your friends, family, and maybe your roommate, would they say, you know what, yes, not always, but generally, there's a willingness on your part to learn. Do you desire wisdom? Or do you think, I really don't need it because I've got it? You see, wisdom is essential, and it starts with the right vision of what wisdom is. Here's the second thing. There's a warning in this text about what happens if you don't embrace wisdom. Verse eight, hear my son your father's instruction, do not forsake your mother's teaching. So here we see that Solomon's intention was to use this book in order for the instruction of young people, particularly young men, and he implores his son in this case to listen to his words and to the words of his mother. Now again, teenagers, junior hires and younger, can I just encourage you with something? Your parents are smarter than what you think they are. They have a lot more experience in life. And here's the other thing. They're probably the only people in the world who have the combination of deep love for you and life experience. For the rest of your life, you may have people who love you, like your friends, but they don't have deep life experience. Or there may be people who have deep life experience, but they don't love you like your parents do. And so in this text, Proverbs is appealing to his son to hear the instruction of his father and his mother. And I'm telling you, as a guy who's been around you know, the world now for 40-some, nine years or so, and raised some kids, and still got some at home, and been a pastor for a lot of years and I've seen people move their way through life and culture, there's a difference between teenagers and junior hires that listen to their parents and those that don't. If you're not a teenager, if you just nodded your head, 
Can I remind you, adult, college student, senior citizen, that a teachable spirit is not something that just we should emulate when we're in junior high, but also throughout our entire lives. I was on a Zoom call, I think it was last week, forgotten how many Zoom calls I have, so I've lost track of them all. I was on a Zoom call with our seniors from our church who were graduating, and I was just telling them about my experience in high school and junior high, and then I said to them, you know, at our core, adults are still junior hires. Like, there's, there's deep levels of insecurity, wondering if they're gonna be left out, fearful of what other people think of them. And in fact, one of the things that's been interesting in this you know, COVID season is with all the tensions in our culture and all of the things related to both the, the illness, the virus, the racial tension, the protests, all of that is, you know, sometimes I, I look at what's happening and I'm like, that looks like how a junior hire would respond. Sort of surfacing a rebellious spirit in some way or a tone that I thought we left that behind or, kind of perspective that just doesn't seem to reflect wisdom. I sense it in my own heart. An unwillingness to stop and consider and to think carefully, what's, what's the wise thing to say? What's the wise thing to do? So this isn't just an issue for young people, this is something that all of us need to embrace. He says here, they, these words, are a graceful garland for your head. They are pendants for your neck. So you're to be adorned with the wisdom that's given to you. My son, he says in verse 10, if sinners entice you, do not consent. He says, if they come and say to you, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let's swallow them alive. Like whole and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We will fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us. We will all have one purse. Here is a very familiar experience. It is where the pervasive evil, pervasive invitation rather to evil combines with the power of peer pressure. So pervasive evil combined with peer pressure and Solomon pictures this moment where his son is being invited to throw in their lot with the wicked. How many bad and foolish decisions in your life have started with this invitation. Come on, everyone's doing it. They're all gonna be there. You're not gonna wanna miss this. It's gonna be amazing. Come on, join us. What could go wrong? Solomon's advice is timeless. Look at verse 15. My son, do not walk in the, in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their path or their paths, for their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. He warns them, this is, this is leading somewhere that's not good. In vain, a net is spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own 
lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. It reminds me of Jesus' words that, sell, that, says, that say to us, what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and yet lose his soul? And Solomon is saying the same thing. A path that could seem so attractive at first can suddenly become destructive. One simple decision can have a lifetime of consequences. So wisdom not only points out the right path, but wisdom also points out the wrong path. It it warns us as to where we shouldn't go. And this is why the book of Proverbs is so critical. It's not just something to be gained. Wisdom is not just something to be grabbed a hold of, not something to benefit us, but there's also in gaining wisdom, there are dangers that should be avoided. And that's why wisdom is so essential. Third, we find here an invitation. It's interesting, in verses 20 through 33, through the end of chapter one, wisdom is now personified as a woman, a lady, call her Lady Wisdom, like we would think of Lady Liberty, and she's mirandering about the streets, and she's calling out. We move from the home of a father talking to his son, now she's in the marketplace. Wisdom, verse 20, cries aloud in the street, and in the markets she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates she speaks. So so notice, she goes to the intersections of society. She goes to the market. She goes to the street. She goes to the entrance of the city gates where official city business was done. She's walking around, and what is she doing? In verse 22, she's lamenting. She says, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? What she does is she calls to people about their affection for not changing. Like in their blindness, they love their blindness and she's calling out to them to come out of their blindness. Oh, simple ones, how long will you be simple? Will you love being simple rather? How long, verse 22, scoffers, will you delight in their scoffing? And fools hate knowledge. So the problem here is that wisdom is calling out to these people to be woken up from the reality of their condition. Solomon wants us to see the invitation that wisdom offers. She mourns over the foolishness of stubborn people. She warns about the effects. She says, verse 23, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. So the idea is that God is ready to grace people with wisdom but they need to turn from their simplicity. They need to turn from their scoffing. They need to turn from their foolishness. They need to realize, I'm not wise. I don't see this clearly. I don't understand this well. And that's nine-tenths of the battle, if you will, with wisdom, is just realizing that you don't know what you don't know. And even just that reality of knowing that you don't know what you don't know is a huge step towards gaining wisdom. Because if you don't know what you don't know, it can keep you from books like the book of Proverbs because you could have a subtle attitude of, I don't need this book, I'm smart. I got experience, I know what to do. And the Bible would tell you, that's actually not wisdom, that's foolishness, even though you might be really smart 
and experienced and even successful. What else do we see here? We see that she warns about the effects of foolishness. She says in verse 24, because I have called and you refuse to listen and have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. Now this is meant to send a little bit of a chill down our spine, like whoa. When the effects of your decisions reap a negative consequence, wisdom is there reminding you it didn't have to be this way. It's a statement of judgment. Even worse, verse 28, then they will call upon me and I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. For some of us, the only time we're interested in wisdom is when we're in so much trouble that we now absolutely need wisdom, but we've never set ourselves up in order to fully understand all the things that we need. He says they hated knowledge, verse 29. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and they despised all my reproof. And therefore, verse 31, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Listen, I'm telling you, I have seen this. I've experienced it. There's sometimes that God gives us what we think we want and when we get it, we're like, I don't want this. It's awful. And part of that is God's kindness in waking us up and helping us to ask this question, what in the world was I thinking? There's some of you listening to the message today and that's exactly what you are. You know you're headed down a path, but you're finding all sorts of ways to justify your present position and you know intellectually where it's heading, but you don't wanna give it up for some reason. And I'm telling you, friend, at some point in time, you're gonna wake up and see the tragedy of what your experience is and you're going to think, what in the world was I thinking? He then says, because they hated knowledge, verse 29, they did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, they despised all my reproof, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their ways, they shall have the fill of their own devices, for the simple are killed by the turning, their turning away, and the complacency of fools despise them, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Finally, chapter two. So that was the invitation, and now we see the value. After all these strong warnings, meant to put a chill down our spine, chapter two offers a more encouraging and winsome appeal. It's in effect that, that Solomon says, you should pursue wisdom because it's so incredibly valuable. He suggests in verse one to four that wisdom should be intentionally pursued, that it ought to be sought after like silver. It ought to be something that we desire. We ought to realize that in verses five and six that wisdom is something that God gives to us. It says, verse six, the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come understanding. God can give you the help that you need by applying biblical truth to your life. And why is, val why is wisdom valuable? Well, look, let me just go through a quick list here. Verse seven, wisdom is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Verse eight, it guards the path of justice. Verse nine, it's, it guides the steps of the saints. <clears throat> 
That's verse 8. Verse 9, it helps to discern what is fair and right. In verse 10, it's a delight and helpful. Verse 11, wisdom protects you. Verse 12 through 15, it delivers you from evil people. Verses 16 through 19, it delivers you from the path of sexual sin. And in verses 20 to 22, it is the path of divine blessing. We don't have time today to unpack all of those. You should read them and see them for yourself. But just look at verse 20. It says this, So you will walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity shall remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. It's as though... The book of Proverbs offers you a choice as to which path that you want to go on. I don't know about you, but when I read this book, my heart, like I know wisdom is important, but my heart wants to lean in and to say, yes, Lord, I want, I want more wisdom because I look at the things that I'm having to deal with right now at so many levels and I have said I don't know what to do more in the last three months than I think I have in the last three years. And one of the graces of this hardship is reminding us how much we need wisdom. So with that in mind, let me ask you some questions. First, where are you at today in your relationship with your creator? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you fear the Lord? Do you know him? Maybe this sermon is just part of a plan that God's putting together to help you see that at the end of the day, some of your decisions are a product not of a lack of understanding, but because your heart is far from God. Why not become a Christian today? Why not turn from your sins and come to Jesus? And secondly, can I ask you, if you're a Christian, friend, what's your posture or attitude right now? Would people characterize you as a person who listens? A person who's humble? Do you have a teachable spirit? You know, one of the differences between those who are foolish and those who are wise is the difference of a teachable spirit. Third, are you seeking wisdom? Let me ask you, do you wanna be wise or you just wanna be right? There's a difference. Do you wanna be discerning? Or do you just want people to agree with you? Do you want to learn from others? Or do you just want everyone to learn from you? Penetrating questions, aren't they? It relates to the issue of wisdom. And then finally, the question is this. Friend, how are you pursuing wisdom? Are you regularly shaping your mind and heart by using the Bible? Are you satisfying your soul with who God is and what he said to us in the word? Who's in your life right now that's helping you to grow in wisdom? Because the people that you're around, the things that you read, the people that you listen to, they shape how you talk about things in the world. They shape the way and the demeanor and your posture. And the question we gotta ask ourselves, is that helping me to be wise? Or is it helping me to be foolish? You see, it's not enough just to know what's true and false. That's important. Not enough just to know what's right and wrong. That's important. But Proverbs extends it. Wisdom goes further. And it says, now that we think we know what's true, now what do we do? And that's where this book's incredibly helpful.
This book is an essential part of God's resources to help us grow in grace. It's a book to guide us as to how we should think when life is so uncertain. And at the bottom is this truth. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Wisdom is essential. So let's pursue it together. Let's pray. God, help us. So many challenges at so many levels in so many issues that I trust I didn't need to convince anyone today that we needed wisdom, that we need wisdom in so many ways. So grant your spirit, we pray, to apply the truth of your word to our hearts and know what we ought to do with what we see and read and know. Make us a wise people. Lord, we need your help. We ask for it and believe that you can give it to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.